0: We're again looking into 1 John chapter 4 this evening, and we're going to find the Apostle John laboring that which is extremely important and should be important to everyone who truly is in Christ and knows him and has come to the wondrous realization of his person, his work and uh, the gloriousness of the salvation that he sovereignly brings and bestows and how this is outworked in the life of those who are the children of god that is begotten of him we're not born into this world with the spirit of god within us we're born in this world under the power of the spirit of darkness and uh, under demonic powers and that's a hard thing to realize but we learn that from the second chapter of ephesians as well and in the course of time if god in his sovereign grace is pleased to bring newness of life in christ then he dwells in us by his spirit and we learn how that is manifested in first john chapter four I'm going to read verses 7 through 16, but then our text will be taken from verses 13 through 16 since our last study was taken in the prior passage. But in 1 John chapter 4 and beginning at verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And here we learn of the nature of that love that God puts within his own. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And uh, tonight's study, Hereby, know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Our Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word, and we ask Thee that through the work of Thy Holy Spirit, who alone can teach our hearts that we may perceive Thy truth, not only in the written word, but in our hearts and in our lives and in our actions. We do ask Thee, our Father and our God, to guide us this evening and to guide us in such a way that our hearts would be moved to glorify Thee in the hearing of Thy Word and in the doing of it. We thank Thee for Thy great grace, such grace that saves such grace alone that saves. And Father, we know that we would forever have walked away from Thee and gone our own way, but for that wondrous grace of God that arrested us in conviction of sin and brought us to look away from ourselves and to look unto the Lord Jesus alone and realize that salvation is in Him and that our redemption because of His finished work and nothing that we do. And yet Thou hast granted us in newness of life repentance from sin and faith in Him. So, Father, grant us Thy mercies as we look into Thy Word this evening. And we shall thank Thee in the blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. With no... Uncertain tone. The Apostle John in this epistle shows that those who are truly the children of God, born of Him, are those who have certain marks that they manifest in their life. Coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as He is made known and revealed in the gospel. And as he is made known by the Holy Spirit and coming to love one another. Those are the two grand things that we have, of course, in our passage. It's comprehended, of course, under the very same commandment in First John chapter 3 and in verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment and of course that commandment of the lord jesus christ is huge that commandment of the lord jesus christ is love one another as i have loved you and that of course is a sacrificial love it's a self-giving love and what we learn is that the truth the knowledge of christ and this love comes together The one is not without the other. And as love can only be manifested by our loving not in word but in deed, as the Apostle has so declared, so our faith is only manifested in truth by our confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And both have the very same common source, the indwelling of God in the believer, by the Holy Spirit and if God dwells in one they both confess the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and they love one another what this shows us is the very same that honest experience will show us who have been begotten of God unto newness of life in Christ and that is that no one has the capacity to lay hold of the saving truth of Christ, nor love with the kind of love that he commands by nature. We didn't come into this world that way. We came into this world going our own way. We came into this world spiritually blind in darkness. We came into this world under the power of darkness and under the prince of the power of the air. And only as God brings newness of life are we delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. And what we learn here is both faith and love are the products alone of the indwelling of the Spirit of God in new birth. And that's because the same love, God's own love, and that's what it's called in Scripture, the love of God in you. The same love which loved us is the same love with which we are to love one another. And no one can love like God unless they are God's own children. No one can become imitators of God unless they are his own children. And unless they are born of him, living in him, and they in him. There can be, of course, a profession of faith without real possession. There can be a lot of religion without reality. And I fear, of course, we live in such a day. There can be, of course, also a natural kind of sympathy without real divine love. But there can be no true faith in Christ without love. And there can be no real self-sacrificial love without true faith. In the lord jesus christ that's why it's put together in our epistle it is together belonging under the very same category where christ abides love abides where he lives in one deeds of love are performed and another important truth drawn from this that where his own are loved in truth, Christ is loved. That it's impossible to have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ without a love for his people. Where his own are not loved, Christ is not loved. And of course, the Lord Jesus said to his apostles, if you are of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And the kind of love that's manifested toward him is manifested toward his people and becomes the high mark of a true child of God. And so, we ought to be able to see how utterly important this truth is, how essential it is. The same love, that draws out our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, draws out our hearts to his people, to his redeemed, to his saved ones, the very people who are indwelt by him. And the one faith comes with the other, love. It's a point that's worth laboring. That's what John does because it's a truth essential to the understanding of the outworking of genuine salvation, as we're taught clearly, of course, in this epistle. So we consider the blessed results of God dwelling in his own, and they dwelling in him. That's a huge thing to say, isn't it? That God dwells in one, and that they dwell in God. And this Mutual dwelling is what John is writing about, of course, in the verses to which we look, as we look particularly into verses 13 through 16 this evening. And take important notice that these verses show the results, not the reason, the results of God dwelling in his own, and they in him. John is not giving the condition for this dwelling. He's not giving a condition for salvation. He's not giving a condition for the continual mutual dwelling, but rather how it is made known, manifested in those in whom he dwells. Thus he writes, of course, Hereby, that is, in this we know, not in this we dwell. This is the way, John says, you may know that God dwells in you. You see, the cause is always in God, always in His purpose of grace alone. The result is in us. Salvation is not by what we do, not by our works, not by something we experience. It's something that is in the hands of a sovereign God. Just as we learn, of course, in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of glory of his grace. Salvation is of God, not of man. Salvation is God's work, not man's work. And, of course, we learn that very clearly in Scripture. And so we have the manifestation of that salvation. We have how that salvation is made known in one and the proof, if you please, that God actually dwells in one. So it's vitally important to see that we only know and can thus rightly conclude assuredly that God is in us and we in him if these results show up in us if they are in us. John has given the outline, if you please, for the last two sections of this chapter. In verse 12, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. The indwelling of God is what now we look at in verses 13 through 16. The perfection of love is what verses 17 through 21 are all about. That shall, Lord willing, comprise our next study in this important subject that John is dealing with. In our verses, verses 13 through 16, this mutual dwelling is mentioned three times. In verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. In verse 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And in verse 16, And we have known and believed the love love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Now, The Apostle John is not showing us something new. He's not bringing before us something that's novel. But he's bringing before us something that is absolutely so true that it bears repeating. It bears laboring. Sometimes we can be slow to learn. And we need to be retaught. It's like certain truths that the Apostle Peter taught. He says, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. We need the truth of God. We need the church. We need constantly to be under the ministry of the Word of God. We need to gather. There's something about a gathering to gather. I realize sometimes there are those who absolutely can't. But the gathering together is important in Scripture, important to your spiritual health and your spiritual life, extremely important. And so we are to be constantly under the ministry of the Word and together. Before these verses or these duties of faith in Christ and love to the brethren were set forth as our duty. But in the performance of these things, we have, if you please, the manifestation of the truth. In our present verses, the apostle majors upon the evidential aspect of these things, very importantly. God not only commands, he gives grace to keep his commands. That's something that's far different under the New Testament than that was under than was under the Old Testament. When God promises the new covenant, and there's an old covenant Israel, and there is a new covenant Israel. And there's never a reversion going back to the old covenant Israel, no matter the false teachings of dispensationalism that arose eighteen hundred years late. There's a new covenant Israel that's comprised of all who are in Christ, Jew and Gentile. There's not circumcision or uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. You in Christ, my brother, my sister, are in the Israel of God. You are under the new covenant. And God promised that under the new covenant, I will put my law in their inward parts and will write it in their hearts. And, of course, this was even prophesied of old concerning the new birth. You remember the Lord Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus couldn't take in what he was saying uh, about a man being born again. Well, a man going to enter his mother's womb and be born again into this world? And, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ looks at him and says, You're a teacher in Israel, and you don't know these things. Of course, the Jews were strict literalists, so they took that literally of what the Lord said. They couldn't comprehend spiritual truth. And yet, in Old Testament Scripture, it was taught, as in Ezekiel 36, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart, 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 out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and ye shall walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep them and do them. That's new covenant ground. Under the new covenant, God promises in the thirty-second chapter of Jeremiah, "I will put my fear in their hearts, and they shall not depart from me." Is that which takes place in the new birth. That is a sovereign work of God alone. And that new birth then becomes manifested in conversion, genuine conversion to Christ. And in what we read that John is teaching us here in these verses, so incredibly important. So, how may we know that God is dwelling in us? and that we're dwelling in Him. How is this colossal thing known? Well, it's by the gift of the Holy Spirit. As he writes in verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. It's known because God gives this gift of His Spirit Spirit, His Holy Spirit to His own. Now, <clears throat> we, of course, live in a day of many errors. One error is that only a portion of God's people have the Holy Spirit. That's a lie. That's not biblical. The Holy Spirit is not given to only a portion of God's people. He's not given to those who meet certain conditions. He's given to all of the redeemed children of God without exception. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the same Holy Spirit. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. There's an equation. God, Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And the manifestation... As in Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7, And because your children, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, the gifts of the Holy Spirit may be more prominent in some than in others. And there are various gifts and differing gifts that God gives to his children, and his control may be more evident in some than in others, but God the Holy Spirit is in all of the redeemed, in all who are truly born of God, who are saved by God's grace, who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, who have redeemed, been redeemed from sin and no longer their own, but his who died for them and rose again. If the Holy Spirit is not in one, God is not in one, if god is not in one they are none of his so paul writes in second corinthians chapter 6 verse 16 ye are the temple of god and god says i will dwell in them and walk in them i will be their god and they shall be my people again that's that promise under the new covenant And the question then is, how do we know that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit? How do we find out? Very simply, we find out by looking into the context. Errors are made when context is ignored. We're not to take one verse and isolate it. We're not to take one verse and build a doctrine around it. We're to consider it within the whole context in which it's given. In its immediate context. We're to consider it in the context of the book in which we have it. We're then to consider it in the context of the whole of Scripture. It requires something to learn the Word of God. It requires a yearning, a desire to know the God of the Word And to love him is to love his word. There are those who would take a verse like this and they would apply it maybe to some historical fulfillment such as Pentecost. And that would render it or rend it from its present context, of course. And here it's proper context. The way we know that God has given us his spirit is in the context of what John is writing here in the fourth chapter of 1 John. It has nothing to do with experiences such as the ability to speak unknown tongues or miracles or feelings or the light. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not known by special manifestations or felt experiences. Matter of fact, we don't feel the Holy Spirit. He's our life. He's in us. The life of the flesh is in what in the blood right you live because the life of your flesh is in the blood you don't feel the blood but it's there but there's proof you're living and it comes because of the blood in your body we can liken that to the work of god's holy spirit not by feeling not by some experience by the life as it is made known and manifested in Christ matter of fact we know it has been historically true and still is that Satan can mimic and deceive by these things in the day of judgment of course the Lord Jesus will say To some I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And yet they claim to perform miracles, do all kinds of things in the name of the Lord. And so, how do we know? How do we know God dwells in? Well, it was expressed very simply by another, and it's not complicated in this passage. We know that we dwell in God, and God in us, because of the Spirit whom he has given. Verse 13, of course. Then, second, we know that he has given us the Spirit because we have come to believe in Christ and love the brethren. So, this manifestation of both faith in Christ and love to God and his people becomes the manifestation of God living in us. The Holy Spirit brings the regenerate to at least three things in regard to the manifestation of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, though we might say the second and the third things are nearly the same. We find them in verses 14 and 15, for instance. And we have seen there's a certain kind of sight that's given to god's people i know the apostles saw and heard the lord jesus christ the incarnate christ the bodily living christ in this world and came to know who he was the word made flesh john writes in john 114 who dwells among us but it goes further we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father They saw beyond the physical. They knew who he was. There is a seeing by faith the Lord Jesus Christ and a testifying. We've seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That means not Jew only, Jew and Gentile. That word world is often simply showing that God expands his salvation to every kindred, tribe, tongue, people on the face of the earth. They who truly see Christ or perceive who he is and what he has done they come in a point of time to confess him. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he and God, and then they continue to testify of him. When God truly reveals Christ to a soul, they come to know that he is indeed the Son of God. That's very important in Scripture. The Son of God, not a Son of God. The Son of God. That definite article is incredibly important. That means that he is uniquely the Son of God. That means that he is the one who is of the very deity of the Father, the Son of God. That means that the human Jesus is also the divine Son of the living God, and that the Father sent him to be the Savior of the world. Of course, you find these confessions in Scripture you find at a place called Caesarea Philippi, when the Lord Jesus took his apostles apart for a while, and he asked them, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? The Son of Man is also the Son of God. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they began saying, Well, some say you're Elijah. Elijah, come again. Some say you're one of the prophets, or so forth. But the Lord Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, of course, for the apostolic band. And how did he answer? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You remember the great confession of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, at his tomb. When the Lord Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Martha confesses, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God that should come into the world. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 as the gospel went forth, preached by Philip. And this eunuch sits in his chariot. He's reading the prophecy of Isaiah, 53rd chapter of all things. God had turned him to the 53rd chapter, if you please, unbeknownst to him at the time. And he says. Uh, who's this about in essence prophet talking about himself or somebody else philip begins at the screen is the same scripture and preaches unto him jesus the son of god they go along and the eunuch says here's here's plenty of water here's the water what hinders me from being baptized There is no such thing as a genuine biblical baptism unless there's something else. That's faith in Christ and confession of him. What doth hinder me from being baptized? Well, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou thou mayest. What was his confession? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So they both went down into the water, And Philip baptized him. But have you openly confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That he is the only Savior that the Father sent? That the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world? You do that, yes, by word of mouth, And you do that by openly identifying with him in his death and resurrection by baptism. And then the testimony of him is to continue to others. As the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him also will I deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, chapter 1. He says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But I have to caution you. That testimony is not something you do because you fear being lost if you fail to do so. That would be fear, not faith. That would be acting out of a motive that is not biblical. But rather a natural result of what is truly in your heart is to be the confession brought about because the Holy Spirit is in you. A fruit of faith. As Paul wrote in Romans 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's because there's a new heart, a new life, a regeneration. And when this faith is real. Confession and testimony is not only the fruit of it, but also love becomes the fruit of it. Love. Self-giving love. Love for the people of God. Love for those in whom Christ dwells. Concern for them. As in verse 16. And we have known and believed The love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. You see, this comes from the very same source. What is the source of this faith in Christ and love of the brethren? It's the Holy Spirit. it's the holy spirit indwelling we could not have a saving faith in the lord jesus christ unless that faith is in us by the holy spirit we could not have a self-giving love for the people of god that actually loves them indeed not simply in word unless god dwells in us by his spirit proceeds from the very same source the same spirit that produces faith, produces love. And the one doesn't come without the other. So what the Apostle John is saying in verse 16, in essence, is that if we truly know and believe the love of God, perceiving it, and the wondrous gift of his Son and his sacrifice for us, as he already wrote in verses 9 and 10, Perceiving the nature of this love in that God sent his son. God gave his best. God gave him to suffer in our place. To bear our sins in his body on the cross. God gave him to redeem us from all iniquity. God gave him to be the one who would reconcile us to himself. God gave him. Christ gave himself he didn't die because men took him by force and made this cross and by force caused him to be put upon it no the lord jesus says no man takes my life from me i lay it down by myself i have power to lay it down and I have power to give it, to take it again. And what does he say in John 10? I lay down my life for the sheep. He gave himself for those that God gave him to redeem. Effectually redeeming all whom he would bring to God through the sending forth of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the preaching of the gospel of the Son of God calling those effectually to come to him. What a wondrous gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we thus comprehend the nature of God's love in Christ and what God has done for us in him. And in turn, we then have his love in us. We love like he loves. Hereby, perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's in verse 16, 1 John chapter 3, of course. And so this is brought out. In speaking of the love that God has to or in us, John may mean more than his love for us. That is inclusive, indeed. But the love which God has for his children is poured into their hearts by the Holy Spirit and flows out to others. That's what it's all about. So that we're brought to conclude that if we truly know the Lord Jesus Christ, we know who he is, we trust him. We shun all thought of merit. We rest only in the glorious truth of his finished redemption. That as the song we sometimes sing, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow to all his work, not ours. We trust him, not in what we do. We look to him, not in our experiences. We're brought then to conclude that if we truly know and believe him, and we truly have love, this kind of love we've been talking about for his own, then we're in God, and God is in us. That's what he's talking about. That's how we know that God dwells in us, and we in him. That is strictly in the context of what John has taught us. So that's a lot to consider, isn't it? But I want to conclude by endeavoring to be extremely clear about something. We're not justified on the basis of our works. Never. We're not justified, we're not accepted by God because we confess Christ with our mouth and try to love his people. That's not why we're accepted. We're only justified by such a faith that looks only to Christ, that rests only upon his finished redemption alone, that receives him alone as poor and needy sinners, when we're brought to be stripped of everything we can trust or everywhere we can look except to him. By his grace, as Charlotte Elliot wrote in her great hymn, He breaks every barrier down so that we come to Him alone. Poor, needy, sinners. Our confession of Him and our love to His people comes only as a result of our faith, never as a cause or condition of it. It is Christ who came to save. We don't help Him. He is Savior, and He alone. It is by His cross alone that we are reconciled to God, by His blood only. Nothing else. If, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We're brought to trust Him only. To look to him alone. Not by trying even to keep his word. We can't do so in ourselves. That has to be something that comes as a result of God's grace in us. Not bringing it about. It is in Christ alone, never by our own efforts, that we are accepted by God. As Peter preached. On the day of Pentecost, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Not what we do. It's by grace alone, grace only, that we are saved. And then it is grace that brings the fruit of our salvation in our confession of the one we have come to believe and trust and desire above all. And in our love for one another, that becomes the fruit, not the cause of salvation. So may God bless the ministry of His Holy Word. Important chapter, isn't it? important. Do we have special prayer requests? Okay. Stomach trouble for months. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay x-rayed today and find out tomorrow yeah
1: he should call me tomorrow
0: okay okay and we'll be praying for that dear young woman beside you there Kathy
1: I found out I have scoliosis. You have what? I have scoliosis. What is that? It's a bone condition. It's bone deformity where your spine kind of bends out of. That's what's affecting my shoulder. That's what
0: brought about it, or that came out of it?
1: The. What the chiropractor thinks was my ligament got torn, my shoulder blade got torn. I developed scoliosis in a young age, it's just the bone structure was pretty strong up until this point. That's why it's gotten worse now. But fortunately, it's treatable by chiropractic so that's
0: all I have to Okay, well, good. I'm glad it's treatable. I, uh, of course, am continuing to have therapy at Ortho Virginia and at home and wearing what's called a dynamic splint. That's not easy to wear for 30 minutes. It's constant pain, uh, but hopefully it will help. So I measured the straightening of my leg today, and the last time it was 14 degrees off. Today it's 12 degrees off, so... And she's thinking that maybe uh, over the course of time with using the splint, it should bring it down five or ten degrees more, so which would be good. That's what that would be acceptable, quite acceptable. And so, but it's a long haul (laughs) and uh, a lot of therapy. And so, hopefully, I'll be able to stand those who are looking live stream they can't see me but I'm sitting in a chair that I look like I'm standing that's alright because it's a high chair but uh, uh hopefully I'll be able to stand one day behind the pulpit which is my preference but uh, they're still in, still working with me the doctor has uh cleared me to go to St. Louis it'll take a while cause we'll have to get out the car we can't just constantly ride and has put me on 2 weeks further of uh, the blood thinner and that's because the last time of course I had a blood clot That they had to treat with more blood thinner than they're doing this time as a preventative but um, he, he thinks it'll be fine as long as, uh, long as uh, I think we get out and we move around instead of staying constantly in the car and I have my coach with me mm-hmm. and she she will make sure <laughs> that she endeavors to make sure <laughs> that I do what I'm supposed to do. And uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm thankful for her. You need to pray for your loved ones and their salvation. I think, uh, you know, Dean. Um, he's the object of, something I think is wrong, that he, uh, he has his own mind on certain things, but he holds firm to the very same truths as we have, for instance, in the 1689 Confession of Faith and in uh, uh, the, uh, the tenets that were set forth for cooperation among the brethren, the, the gospel as it is given, and uh, he's in total agreement. As a matter of fact... Of course, he and I were together on what was called the steering committee in the beginning of the fellowship. We were there in the formation of the fellowship. And he added significantly during that. And, and he holds the same truth. But he has also some things that most of us wouldn't hold. He, he views some things about the union of Christ that, that most of us do not. Uh, but what uh, you know, there are certain things that men sometimes will, will find that doesn't make them a heretic. It means they've studied something differently or come from a different angle maybe than, than we have. And so uh, we're praying that this problem will be resolved. There are a couple of men who are uh, wanting to see him out of the fellowship because of some things he teaches And uh, I think that's wrong because he's not wrong on the essential things that we have, which was to be the basis of our fellowship. Anyone else? Please
1: continue
0: to pray for Amy. For Amy and Jonathan.
1: Uh, a new treatment today, um, neuromuscular therapy, kind of massage therapy to address a lot of the, the tension in her head and neck on her left side that seems to be related to her migraine pain. So we're hoping that there'll be some relief there. And Jonathan started applying for jobs.
0: in that, but stepping out of faith, finding the jobs, and praying for it, and praying the grace to be able to get the job and be able to do it. Yes. Okay, we can stop the live stream, and those at home we can pray. We'll pray, we'll pray here. audibly
1: The so we that we the and to God and God the Lord is the the Everybody, and good, and the good is good. It's the spirit of the head, mind, we want to and the of the, they see, in the, same in the same of the lions and the and the, the city of the the city the to and the You, if she has television, she It the the may need to do. to to be a good person 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 to be a de... good person to be a 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 good person and keep the children back and the and the